Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I have been re-listening to Cece's word from Sunday, and I wanted to expand what the Holy Spirit gave to me about it. There are times in this journey, since we're um, a prophetic house, then God is in his graciousness. He prepares us for what's coming. And I wasn't for sure after I heard her word, what all the Holy Spirit wanted to highlight, but I knew it was very pertinent for the season that we're in. And so I want to just kind of dissect it just a little bit. But she also had another dream subsequently that she's going to share in just a second that actually will expand on it even more. Um, In the word that she released, there was this injection of vitamin E. Do you all remember that? And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And she also said that, um, you know, she's very scientifically minded, so her the way the Holy Spirit speaks to her is that way. I'm not. I'm color. That's why I have that little girl up there. And she said, remember this, she said E equals elevate. Does anybody remember her saying that? And she gave us four things that God was wanting to elevate in our walk, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, I will say that I... When I was studying today, I had this, I'm not a napper, but I had this thing happen where I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and I laid down and I took a nap for like seven minutes. That's kind of how cholerics nap. (laughs) I didn't look at the clock, but it was very brief. But as soon as I woke up, he told me everything I want to tell you tonight. And so... um. Sometimes I I need to step into rest when I'm trying to figure out something a little bit too hard. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit is really trying to impact us with, is that He lives over in the right brain area. I don't know if you know that about Him. And one of the things that I think is super important, I've probably said super 75 times today, is that you have got to learn God's narrative about you. You know, when, whenever Lucifer was in heaven, and you can read about it in Ezekiel 28, but it talks about everything that God made in this worship worshipful angel this was a archangel lucifer was an archangel when he was thrown to earth he became satan i don't spend a lot of time on him but i wanted to give you this nugget that part of the enemy's ability to trump god's narrative over your life is found in this nugget about lucifer in, in Ezekiel 28, it says this. It says, your heart, he's talking about Lucifer. He says, your heart swelled with pride because of your beauty and talents, your hunger for fame, 
Your thirst for glory corrupted your wisdom. Those pride, beauty, talents, fame, those are the four things that the enemy uses on us. But if you notice, it says that he gave up wisdom to have glory. Now, if you understand anything about the strategy of heaven, God, heaven is an industrial place, and God is a God of strategy. Right? Now, what God said about Lucifer, he said, this is why I drove you to the ground and made an example of you for kings to see you. Who's a king on earth? Four of y'all. Who's a king on earth? It's you. That's you. So this is interesting if you understand the strategy of heaven that he didn't want Lucifer to swell with pride. But because he wouldn't repent, then he put him on earth with you to show you what not to do. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I personally believe that God didn't think Satan was a match for humans. You know, in, let me just give you some more obscurity, okay? In Zechariah 3, in Zechariah 3, this is a story about the high priest Joshua, not the same as the other Joshua, but he was in filthy robes. And it says that he came, he came before the accuser, it says, which is, again is Satan, brought him before God. And he said, he doesn't deserve to be in your presence because he's filthy. And it was actually true. He actually was. He actually had on, you know, and in, in, in the law that, that he couldn't come before God. But what God said was, this is what God said, I rebuke you, accuser. So this is another strategy of heaven. You've got to go searching, I know, for some of these obscure things. So what does that tell us about the narrative of God for us, for us personally? That it doesn't really matter how dirty we think we are. Because the blood of Jesus does what? The blood of Jesus does what? Washes me Partly white, like that machine does at home. White as snow. That's pretty white. And so, if you go, obviously, over in Revelations, it all also talks about what's going to happen to the accuser. Because what is he doing day and night? So, see, when I was... When I was with the Lord today, he said to me, Cece's word is really about understanding slanderous words. This is a 
this is a, this is a season I'm, I'm, I'm just of, of the spirit of accusation. Now let me tell you how I know this in this house. I'm raising up prophetic leaders and part of the prophetic is that you can't live in your soul. So what are we doing this month? We are, I'm putting pressure on your soul on purpose to reveal to you where you are. Why is that necessary? Because you're not king. He's king. And only because of him, he made you a king. What does a king do in God's kingdom? He serves the people. What does the king do in the worldly kingdom? He rules with an iron fist. What king kind of king do you want to be? And so the other day, we got a text from Tessa. It was right before baptism. Now, see, she's a forerunner. She's like John the Baptist. She runs out ahead and gets all the crap thrown on her for it to be revealed to me what God's saying. And she likes that role. <laughs> And so she met up with an accuser. And in the middle of the accusation, it was a real accusation, so it was a real thing. She told me the funniest thing. This was before Cece's message. Now, you have to understand, Cece, I don't, Cece and I don't talk about all this extracurricular stuff. It would just be too much for her probably. But... Tessa said she looked up and there was a price tag on this item above this person's head that was letting her have it, and it was three three three. In the midst of an accusation that was personal, you know, we're—I don't think we're super good at accusations that aren't personal. But this generation of prophets is not going to care because they've come to take down the accuser. So they're expecting to run into accusations. It's a confirmation. And see, when my soul's in the lead, it hurts my feelings. When my spirit's in the lead, it makes me sharpen my sword. That's why I'm putting pressure on your soul to reveal where you are. See, this is what you have to understand that the primary issue for this generation, we talked about a few weeks ago, is injustice. But if you let, let's, let's, let me read you the scripture in James 1. He says, understand this, brethren and sistren, let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. For the resentment or deep-seated anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God which is the standard of behavior 
he requires. So see, anger is not enough to solve the injustice problem. Because if you're not careful, your anger will be pointed towards the problem instead of the narrative on why you're on earth. If you don't know why you're on earth, that's got to be your first step. Because we're not all here to do the same thing. We're all here to bring the kingdom, right? We all have an assignment. Most of us agree with that, right? But can I, can I help you? I bet your assignment isn't something that you want to do. Trust me, I've been along, along this road a long time. The things that led me to my assignment were, I mean, I worked in a corporate office, one of those high-rise bu buildings downtown, and he was there, but it wasn't my assignment, right? Yeah. I've been offered to coach collegiate basketball all well up into my 40s. But he wasn't in that. That wasn't for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I never, this wasn't ever the thing. You can ask Pam. But see, in that moment that God marked me with an assignment, the assignment is so much greater than the voice of the accuser. When you don't know your assignment, the voice of the accuser wins out. Because you're double-minded. Well, I'm not for sure if this is it. And so what does he do? That ain't it. And you're like, yeah, that's probably not it. And so this void that's going on in culture of injustice, it has to be filled with kingdom values. And the only way to know the kingdom values is when God gives us a prophetic instruction, we actually complete it. Think of it as just an assignment in school. What's your least favorite subject? Mine was math and science. Pam's favorite was probably math and science. I hated math and science. I like gym, though. <laughs> but it's like knowing the narrative from God for my life, it and getting tested on it, it's like taking a math quiz. For me, whatever your least favorite subject is. See, we thought it was going to be, come on, let's be honest. I'll come to know Jesus. I'll find a prophetic community, and then it'll be like, they'll just want me to do everything. Right? It'll be easy. That's what we thought. We're looking, come on, be honest. We're looking, will anybody just do the hard road with me? The hard work of searching out a matter, the hard work of doing assignments that actually reveal stuff in me that I won't reveal. Because you know what? If we're not careful, let's read Matthew 24. This is what he says. There will be such an increase of the sin of lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. Why? Why was Jesus telling us that? Have you ever thought to yourself, will my passion for Jesus ever go cold? It says they were burning with passion. I like it. It says 
But even through it all, read Matthew 24, 9 through 14 sometime. The good news of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, all over the world. That's what's going on right now. People who once burned for him aren't. But the message is going all over. Now, if God came to you and said, hey, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, would you? I think that's really the question of her word. Will you elevate in the areas that he said because it'll protect you from what? Losing your passion, going cold. But it'll also create a narrative of your life to where this generation will be changed by kingdom values, not by your soul. See, we go, whoop, we can all go, whoop, when we hear something exciting. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, how big is your soul? Listen, just I know in your logical mind, you can think this way. I wouldn't want to solve the world's problems with one of those days when my soul's super big saying really stupid stuff. We can all agree with that, right? But see, if I don't go through this process of retraining my soul, you know, I use Cece all the time. I mean, she's just like, she's like one of those frogs that I dissected in seventh grade where we're just like looking inside there, seeing what's happening. And so I was asking her, you know, she's a feeler. And I said, you know, how does it feel to know that your feelings mean something different than you thought. I said, well, what did you think your feelings meant? She said that, they, that there's, there's a problem. Like, I'm the problem. Like, they, my feelings themselves are the problem. And then here, someone comes along and says, but those are how God speaks. That's the language, that's the narrative of God over her life, that I made you childlike, and I made you a feeler, and I'm going to speak and usher my glory and my instructions through that heart. But if she's not careful... This is what she told me, even in the green room, that she had to learn to change her automated response. Now, I don't know about you, but that that means something. Do you have, how many know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many know you have this automated response that anybody that walks into your presence and begins to talk to you about yourself, your automatic response is no. But I... But, 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 and I, uh, 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 I like Lynn's response. Thank you. I'll correct that. Let's all practice together. Thank you. I'll correct that. Let's practice again. Thank you. I'll correct that. Wouldn't that be a much, how does that feel coming out your mouth? Like some poison or does it feel like a nice chocolate chip cookie we just had last night? She said that she had to do three things. She had to consider that these feelings meant something else. She had to validate, validate them to not disregard them, and then she had to sort them out. Listen, I don't know about if you understand this about her, but she released that word. She's been in the battle for three days. Why? Because the narrative in her head that's been there for 39 years, she's older than that now, for 39 years that's, that God's been trying to change, it's the automatic response. 
So think about your life. Wouldn't it have been great if you had been raised to know that you're gifted by God with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and know what they were and know your assignment from birth? Would that have been a great thing? So now you have to be the one to retrain you. That's really all that's going on on the planet where God's raising and pouring out his spirit. He's raising up people who are willing to retrain their brains to be what he made them to be. And there's obstacles in the way of that that you are going to have to overcome. Maybe all by yourself. That's this life. Now, Cece had this dream. And before I give us these four amazing things that the Holy Spirit is wanting us to ele uh, elevate, I want her to get, come and give you the dream she had, okay? Because it goes along with it. Do you need this? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so more fun Holy Spirit puzzle pieces to share with you. And, and you know, for anybody that wasn't here on Sunday, um, one of the things that's so incredible about leadership in this house is that when God does release a prophetic word, the leadership really starts to seek out how to help us implement it. And of course, that's what Tisa is bringing to us tonight. And so if anything doesn't quite make sense, we had a whole message called Three on Sunday, and it's available on all our platforms if you need to go back and visit that in order to make some of this, how, you know, to put all the pieces together. But we're in the process of finding more pieces and um, expanding on how to apply them to our lives. And so I think that this dream I had two nights ago now is one of those other puzzle pieces. I think, you know, we have a tendency as human beings to hear a word and we hear it through our natural mind sometimes and we dismiss things and we think, oh, that's that's great for someone else, but that doesn't apply to me. You know, we can we can dismiss ourselves from it. And so with this dream, um, I feel like this is some, there's something in this dream that's going to help um, pique your interest, maybe again, turn your attention to maybe make it feel a little bit more personal and help you remember that this actually applies to you because it really applies to everyone. When God speaks, there's something true for everyone. And so um, this was a really cool dream. It's actually in two parts. And I've had some help from my friends and discussing it over a couple of days and several people contributed parts that led to me being able to sit down with the Holy Spirit and actually get a word for um, as the interpretation of the dream. And so I think that this dream speaks to basically maybe you could say two different people groups or stages of life, maybe stages of the journey. But in reality, we can all find ourselves either on whether one end or the other or somewhere in between. You're either a little bit further along than the first one or you're heading towards the second one. Okay, so you just find yourself in there. So the first part of the dream, I'm going to share the, the dream briefly and then the interpretation of it. So I dreamt that I was being held hostage in some sort of weird special tent that was red, and it was so set up inside the room of a very large and very old house, and it had very um, old and traditional-looking decor. It looked like all the stuff that was on the walls and everything had been passed down through the generations because it was so old and traditional. 
The tent I was being held in was a reddish color, and although it looked like a typical tent, the front entrance could be made to seal up so that there was no opening at all. And you couldn't even hear anything outside of it, see anything. You couldn't, there was no seam or anything, no way to get out of it. Whoever was holding me there would come by occasionally, come into the tent and make it seal up like that. I was considering different ways I might try to escape, and it seemed that I might have a chance to be taken to the hospital. I thought that I might be able to make my escape from the hospital. And I was walking around the room that the tent was in thinking about all of this when the thought came to me that I better make sure and I have my purse with me so that I have my ID and my car keys so that when I see the chance to run, I'll actually be equipped to go somewhere and not just be a short term, like a, a limited escape, but I could actually go the distance, you know? So I went back into the tent, I looked through my purse for those items, and I found my ID and my keys, and I decided to put those in my pocket. Just in case I got separated from my purse, I would have them on me, okay? So it was very important to have them close to me. And then I put my purse across my shoulders so it would be more secure on my body also. So that's the end of that part of the dream. So the interpretation of that dream is that this dream is speaking to those who are held hostage by the survival skills that they developed while being raised in their family's generational mindsets and lifestyles that aren't of God. They created a temporary place of rest or refuge. A tent is a temporary place. A temporary place of rest or refuge from the environment that they were submerged in. Those self-made places of refuge, in other words, not God-made places of refuge, but self-made places of ref refuge, escape, or survival, eventually become the thing that holds them hostage. And a source of anger and internal warring, which the negative um, reference of the color red is war and anger. So this thing that's red that was a self-made place of refuge and survival becomes a source of great anger and internal warring that you are actually held hostage by. At times, its hold is so strong that nothing outside of it can be seen or heard, even when wisdom or help is being offered to them. They just, you just can't hear it, you know? We've all been in that position, right? You can't hear it, you can't see it, can it make sense to you? You are totally encased in your self-made survival uh, mechanism. The escape for these people, anyone finding themselves in that situation or any, any element of this still op in operation in your life, will become available to them when they seek a place of healing. Hospital is a place of healing, right? They have to seek a place of healing. It doesn't take in other words, logic or strategy or somebody rescuing you, a person rescuing you to get released from your captivity. Healing is what's needed, personal healing. You must also have a hold on your true identity, your ID card. That's the truth about who you are. And you must have the true keys of authority and access to the kingdom. Jesus is the one true key, right? He is the one actual key that gives us access to the Father and all of the kingdom of God. And so we have to 
that's only found through Jesus. It's, there's only one key. We have to have our true identity, which comes from the Father, and we have to have the true keys of authority and access and um, provision and all of that from Jesus. And that will be required for them to find lasting freedom. So remember in the dream, I knew I could maybe make a run for it from the hospital, but I realized I better have my ID and my keys if I really want to get away. Otherwise, I may run away, but they'll just pick me right back up because I won't even have gotten very far, you know? So for lasting freedom. So that is, again, speaking to, and I hope you know, after hearing last week's message about all the puzzle pieces, the Holy Spirit is speaking through these things that may seem to be, you know, unconnected, but this is relevant to the invitation and the um, instruction that we were given to elevate and get the injection of vitamin E and all of that. Okay, so part two of the dream speaks to a separate, a different people group or a different stage of life, maybe. So the dream shifted then, and I was in a stairwell of an apartment building. And I was making my way down the stairwell, and um, I reached a certain point, and I saw that there was red tape blocking off all the entrances to other floors in the apartment building. So I kept going down and down. Red tape was blocking everything, and I saw one door that led to a floor and it didn't have any red tape. But I went past that and saw that the others still had red tape. Came to the conclusion that, okay, anybody walking down the stairwell, you only have one door you can go through, right? That's just, it's, you're being funneled in a certain direction. Um, so I went, onto, I went onto that floor and I saw that there were just a few apartment doors down there. It seemed pretty desolate. And at the end of the hall, though, there the exit, like where you would go maybe to the elevator or something, was also blocked off with red tape. And there was a sign that said, don't leave, blocking over the door. The dream skipped ahead again. I was back upstairs. I was coming down the stairs again. I encountered the same red tape. And I entered the floor again. And I saw a couple that in the natural I know of. I don't know them personally. I have a slight acquaintance with them, Okay. But I saw that they lived there in an apartment on that floor. The man that is an acquaintance um, came out of his apartment in a hurry and started making his way to an exit. And I began to notice that a lot of time had passed since the last little stage of the dream because all the signs that were read were real faded now. And in fact, that exit that was blocked that said, don't leave, the sign was torn in half and kind of just hanging there. But like out of necessity, they'd obviously just gone through the door. And so a lot of time had been passed, and I kind of walked with him out to the elevator where I saw that there were two fake trees, real big fake trees, but they were kind of pretty, you know, for an apartment, you know, hallway, elevator, and a corridor thing. And so I saw those, and I made a comment to him, and I said something about how nice they it made the place look pleasant, you know, and he replied with a sarcastic comment that said, yeah, it's nice as long as you can get over worrying about the fact that your apartment might blow up, okay? So I soon came to realize that, first of all, this couple, they were the only ones living on that floor. They had gone to great effort, like putting the fake trees in to make things look very comfortable and homey and beautiful and nice, but all the red tape and the signs that they'd been seeing over this whole period of time had actually scared them and made them think something was wrong with the apartment building itself and like it might just blow up anytime. Which of course all their nice little decorations wouldn't gonna do anything for that, right? So 
Interestingly, I want to I want to say here that I kind of knew these people's names, but not real great. And I realized after I wrote my dream out that I actually had the man's name wrong. I had the first letter right, okay? But after talking with the Holy Spirit about it, I realized there had to be some significance of why I wrote the wrong name. And so the name that I wrote down was Donald. And I looked up the meaning of that name, and it means ruler of the world, like king of the world, right? Yeah, king of the world, proud chief, okay? That's what the name Donald means. So just a little um, heads up that that is a a pointer to the fact that this man felt like he was the king of his world, right? He was the one the ruling his world. He was the king of his life and making decisions accordingly. So time passed again. Uh, I'm, I'm, oh, I, no, I'm sorry. I skipped a, a, a section. I go down to the basement level with Donald, and he's trying to back his white van out of this garage, which somehow was like a house garage, but in an apartment building. You know how that happens. And so I'm watching him pull his van out, and it's real narrow, and, it's, and he's having to do all this maneuvering. And I see that there's all these dents on the top of the van hood, and I start to figure out how the dents got there because I saw that in all of his maneuvering, he would start to back out and then have to pull back in a little bit. But he would have hit the button and already made the garage door come down, you know? So he would try to like beat it. You know, like I can do it, I can pull in and back out before the thing comes down, but it hit him obviously a few times because there were all these dents in the van. And so um, again, Time passed again. I'm upstairs. This is a crazy dream, okay? <laughs> so time passed again. I'm upstairs again, and I found myself telling somebody, hey, you know all that red tape that you put up for, like, that Halloween party? You left it up. Like, you never went and got it, and now it scared these people that are living down there half to death because they think it's real, and they think their apartment's going to blow up. And all this time, they thought they took it seriously. They thought it was real, like a real danger sign. So um, I tell whoever that person was, I tell them that. And then I realized in my hands, I have this big stack of sheet music. And I needed to go and tell Donald about it. And I needed him to play, play the song because if he played the song, I would know the pattern that the song took. Okay, just by hearing it, I could like draw out a little pattern. I couldn't read the sheet music, but I knew that he would know the name of the song and that he could play it for me, and I would end up with a pattern. On my way to go and talk to him about this, I walk out of the apartment that I'm in, which was up higher, right? Because obviously I keep going down, so I'm, I'm up higher. I walk out, and I go to the apartment that should have been their apartment, but I didn't change floors. You know how that happens, like all the, everything looks the same in a hallway? So I didn't leave the floor. I forgot that step. And so I go and I knock on the door that I think is theirs, but I'm on the wrong floor. So this other couple answers. And I realize that they have been taking a nap as a family on their floor. And they're this really sweet, sweet couple that happened to be represented in my dream by Kirk Cousins, who's the Vikings quarterback in real life. Just saying, a really sweet family. You can tell that it's on, they're on TV. You know, you can see them. Anyways, real super sweet. This was a weird little insert into my dream, but I actually got a nugget on it. And so um, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. Please return to your nap. Go back to resting. I'm on the wrong floor. Then I went down to the right floor, and that was the dream, okay? So with 
some perseverance. I got the interpretation on, interpretation on it. It's really pretty cool. I believe this, this couple, I don't know if I mentioned this, it was an older couple, okay? Um, I believe that this dream speaks to an older generation who seem to have successfully run their race, having lived their life according to the red tape of the world system and its complex and time-consuming bureaucratic guidelines. You know that reference to red tape? There's a lot of red tape. You've got to cut through a lot of red tape. They are surrounded by their life's work of accumulated things meant to beautify their surroundings. But their pursuit of this success has left them in somewhat of an independent and isolated existence. They were on almost the very bottom level of the apartment, and nobody else lived there on that floor. They were the only ones living in a lower, lower quality of life in the spirit, right? But they had all these beautiful things around them. And so um, they find themselves at the supposed end of their race, but struggle to enjoy the fruits of having crossed the finish line because of the persistent overshadowing, uh, overshadowing fear that was cultivated through their years of following the leading of worldly systems, definitions, and guidelines. Having believed the lie that success would finally eradicate this fear, they find themselves somewhat dazed by the lack of results this false wisdom has yielded. Many have sought satisfaction for their unmet desire at this stage of life of a more meaningful and purposeful life through church involvement, but have found it difficult to maneuver within the tight constraints of religious systems, oftentimes being injured in the process. Okay, that's the van, the white van. White speaks of purity and righteousness. A van or a vehicle speaks of a ministry. And those tight constraints of the garage and getting the door hit, that's a lot of maneuvering somebody's had to do. Yeah. Oftentimes being injured in the process. Good news is there is freedom and fulfillment available to these people also. The fear seated on the throne of the life they've built is only a deception. It's an illusion based on a false perception. So once you know that all that fear you've been bowing to your whole life is not based on anything real, you can begin to have hope. You can begin to take some steps to walk a different way. This freedom and fulfillment won't be found through further maneuvering in the religious system. It won't be found by making sure you accomplish anything or making sure you make a difference in all of this kind of, you know, navigating and maneuvering within the religious system. It will be found, it will be found when they are reunited with the classic song of all songs that Father God has been singing over them since their inception. When, after so many years, the dust is wiped off the sheet music of their original design, they will recognize the name of this, their father's song. And when its melody is finally heard, the pattern for how they are to live their lives will be revealed. They will rise out of the place of independence and isolation way down here, and they'll find themselves finally at rest with the family of God. Of course, that requires not being a Donald anymore. And this person that in the dream, their real name was Dennis. Donald is a ruler of the world, proud chief, you know, king of all things. Dennis, that name comes from the name of a saint 
who was actually a third century missionary. And he was martyred, had his head cut off. And there's a legend about him that said that after his head was cut off, he picked it up and walked for a distance while preaching a sermon. Okay? That speaks to no longer operating with logic in order to fulfill your true mission to serve others in the kingdom. So one is a self-serving king of his own world, and the other one is a servant missionary who's surrendered for the kingdom of God. All right, so it's a cool dream, right? It's a cool dream. So again, we are either on our way towards that end, that last generation, you know, the older generation, or we're coming out of maybe the first generation trying to get out of our tent and, and be released. Most all of us are somewhere on that journey. And it's sometimes helpful to look to back to see where you came from, why you're still struggling in a certain way. And sometimes it's helpful to look forward and see that's where we're headed. That's the road we're on. We're following all the red tape, all the bureaucratic worldly systems guidelines. And now all we're doing is build an altar to fear to be dominating our lives. And so let this speak to you. Let this make it more personal for you and really seek the Holy Spirit on it. So I'm just saying the reason why I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted her to give us that dream is because it, I feel like it speaks directly to these places of elevation. So real quick, let's go through them, okay? Um, the first one is our process. Now, do you remember her saying that in, in her, um, her prophetic word, he said to elevate in, in our process. So think about your process right now. I like, um, Hebrews six for this. It says, now this is the time for us to progress, say progress beyond the basic message of Christ and advance into perfection. Is that, is that the time it is for you? Yes. You know, in my heart of hearts, I wish that we could just, you know, people could just reveal like, hey, I'm never going to do that. Wouldn't that be great? And then other people would say, hey, that is like that is just the passion of my life. Wouldn't that be great? All the people at council with people are like, "Yes, can you just tell me whether you're going to do it or not?" Right? And but listen, the it says the foundation has already been laid for us to build upon. Guess what the foundation was? It says turning away from our dead works. Dead works, dead works, dead works. Do you even know what your dead works are? See, this is part of your process. To embrace faith in God. These, these, this was the basics. Foundations on different baptisms. There's seven different baptisms. I don't have time to talk about that. You go search it out. Impartation by the laying of hands. Basics. These are the basics. Resurrection of the dead. Basics. These are all basics. Eternal judgment. Basics. These are just the basic. And well, he wants us to move beyond. That's the basics. Right? It says, so with God's enablement, we'll move on into deeper truths. So those are the basics. Right? Do you understand that the kingdom is about this progress? And so if you don't even know your process, how many know, just like she was saying in her dream, if 
you will never, ever run low on things that people did to you in the past. Like if you, if you have got to get all of those resolved before you do anything, like no one can confront, well, but someone did something and then they did something, something, something. They did, you're just going to be stuck in your process because you're constantly trying to get something resolved. This unlimited, right? But if we just say, okay, here's my process that I, I live by. Most of us just need to be accountable. Like you literally just need to ask someone before you do something. That's really, if you would make just that one thing, you know, so many people have such a weird dynamic with accountability when it's really something that's trying to save your life. If you would just ask someone, it's amazing how much of a mess you won't make. Right? That's just got to become part of your process. There's a billion scriptures on this, but that has got to become your part. If you don't even have that in your life, if you never ask anybody anything, I ask people where I'm going to eat that day, what I'm going to wear. I wore shorts tonight. I had to ask 14 people if I could wear these shorts up here tonight. Most of y'all probably don't even know that I haven't ever wore shorts, right? Because why? I just want it to be part of my process. Don't look at my shorts right now. It's just part of my process. It's just part of my process, right? Okay, the next thing, so y'all look up some more scriptures about your process, okay? Find out where you're at. Um, thinking, the next thing that she mentioned was part of that needs to be elevated is our thinking. Now listen, this re mind renewal is forever, as long as you're on earth. God is working on changing your mind. Your mind thinks way too small for what God did for you. Come on. Your mind. Um, Jesus came and lived a demonstrative life of what humanity can do. Died, rose again for you to have gave you the Holy Spirit. There, that's a lot of stuff. Besides the fact of how amazing he thinks you are because he made you. Remember what I said at the beginning, the enemy strategy, right? If you really want to understand what's going on, if you want to blame somebody else, you can blame somebody else, but you're not fighting against people. You're fighting against an accuser who's standing before God saying you're dirty, and God says, yeah, they are, but guess what? I made them clean. If you don't get that process down in your thinking, then you're going to forever look for someone to make you feel like only his presence can make you feel. I mean, I don't even know any human that has that much energy. And, you know, have you ever have known somebody that's just constantly wanting you to give to them and make them build them up? It is like a vat. It is like even when you give them a lot, that's not enough. They shift it. Oh, well, that was good. Oh, no, it's got to be like this now. Now it's got to be like this. That's because it can't be filled up by a human. That's proof. So when we're blaming other people where you don't think about me, you're not good to me, I'm not on your mind. No, they're not. You're not. They're not on your mind. You're not on their mind. That's right. It's true. So trying to extract that from him is futile. That's why I have to live from a place of, that I know my first thing is that I'm a daughter of God. Right? 
And so 2 Corinthians 10, 5 in the voice is we demolish arguments and ideas and every high and mighty philosophy that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. This is what you have to do. You have to demolish it. We take prisoners every thought, every emotion, and subdue it into the obedience of Jesus. What does that look like? When you get a thought, if you think that those are going to go away one day, they are not going to go away. You have to make them bow. That's why you have to know God's narrative over you. Listen, listen, I've been doing this a long time. I know God's narrative over most of y'all in here more than you do. And that ought not to be. You should be convincing me of who God says you are. That's, that is, I know, that just made, made y'all mad at me. But listen, that is the reality. That Just think about what my life as a leader trying to lead a prophetic company to release the presence of God would look like if everybody in the room knew the narrative of God for them. And they brought themselves in here and said, that's who I am. What kind of training? I mean, think about it. Okay, let's go over there. So, football's about to start. I may not even be here anymore because football's starting. I'm just kidding. No, listen. So, prime time, he's got his team, and they're fixing to go play TCU, right? And, you know, they're all building it up, building it up, building it up. But guess what? If they walk in there, now TCU's ranked, and if, I don't know if you know anything about Colorado, but they stink. They've been horrible for a long time in football. Bad, 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 horrible. The band's better than their football team, okay? That's bad. But here comes primetime in, right? He's made, he's made, he, he, he exchanged 68 players. That's a whole lot you don't understand. So listen, they're not ranked. And if they go in there and they say, we're not ranked, because what are the rankings? A bunch of white men sitting around trying to pick up some, some names and things of people. That's what it is. It's not even a real system. If they go in there, come on, y'all smile a little bit. If they go in there and say, well, we're not ranked, what happened to them already? They didn't demolish the argument and idea that was a philosophy that pit itself against who they really are. And see, that's why he spends so much time on their heads. If you just watch him, he's in there constantly telling them over and over and over and over and over. He says, don't let five minutes of pleasure run your whole life. I mean, he's doing, he is, what's he doing? He is showing them how to demolish arguments. I show you how to do that all the time. There is no way that you can come here and say you don't know how to do this. No way. No way. And guess what? He's saying, elevate your thinking. Why is he saying that? Because you're going to need a different brain for the next thing we're fixing to do. That's just the reality. The next thing is decision making. Now, what is the way you make a decision? I could do a whole thing on this. But number one, if you don't have anybody in your process, look at me. You're making bad decisions. Period. If you have no one that you ask, you are making bad decisions and they will not bear fruit. You're not that smart. That's the first thing. You just got I know it makes you mad, all you clerics especially, because you don't ask nobody nothing. But Proverbs 11 says this, people lose their way without wise leadership. But a nation succeeds and stands in victory when it has many good counselors to guide it. The first thing you have to realize is what does your collective counsel look like? 
I have a nucleus of counselors. I don't even send out a text that my nucleus, what is my, now listen, the, the thing of it is, when I ask them, am I selling it or am I sharing it? Man, it is gross when you act like you're being accountable and you're selling me on your idea. You're, you've already made a decision. Come on, let me just talk straight to you. I can really help you. If you don't have a counsel, counselors around you, then it already says it right there. You have lost your way. Listen, let, let me help you all out. If you're going to make an appointment with counselors around here, don't come in already knowing everything you need to know and don't leave and never do anything they say. Don't come back. Let me just be honest. It's a waste of their time. They're, get, they're doing it for free. And they're giving you wisdom and you come in with your big old soul and why would they need to wrestle with that? Right? That's part of your decision making. Are you selling or sharing? And think about it. You should ask yourself this question. What choice benefits the kingdom of God the most? Not what choice makes benefit for you. You know, we just did this mural at Jackie's business. Now, they, these two girls could have done it without Studio 36. They don't need us. Right? They didn't make as much money doing it through Studio 36 as they would have by themselves. But guess what? What were we doing? We were making a step toward building something, and that was the first step. If I look at that step as it's got to be the prosperous step, I won't make that choice. Because I'll have one thing in mind, self-protection. But see, I know them. Lenny today, you know, she's the administrator. She's a little chicken butt every now and then. So she's been a chicken butt today, and she's like, do you think that they're going to think this is good, what they made? And I was like, don't even say that. Like, they wouldn't have even gotten that job. Right? It, it, they're not, they didn't do it for the money. Do you see what I'm saying? And so even she knows that people might be mad. Even she knows. She's already, she's on guard. Why? Because there's not freedom to say, let's expand the kingdom. Right? Let's, let's just expand. Let's make a choice that expands the kingdom. When I said on Sunday, I want to blow this wall out, some of you in here said, oh, God, I'm going to be a part of that. And some of you are like, well, why? That's just a reality of what's in the room. It is the reality. Go punch those people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Come on, have a little levity with me. You are so serious. Listen, think about expansion. Listen, we only have to be here for like two more, two and a half more years or something. And, and we're moving on. So be thinking about the moving on, right? This is just an exercise to see if we can move on. Now, the last thing is how much of your day, what did I say? Oh, I have a little slide for each one of these. We didn't even show them. Let me see what I said. So I'll know. The Jesus yoke. That's what I call it. Yoke, 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 yoke. So listen, I, I pulled out a couple of verses for this. One is this, Hebrews 6. It's impossible for God to lie. 
That's a good line. For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. That's why you have to know his narrative. If you know his narrative, then when the enemy comes, you can be like, I'm just waiting for Papa to tell him to shut up. Right? You'll know. Listen, the enemy has no new tricks. I have found he lies the same way to me over and over and over. Have you, has anyone found that out? So you pretty much just have to have a couple lines. He doesn't even try anything new. You're low man on the totem pole. He just sent demon number 733,000 over to your house. He's not even coming over himself because you're not a threat. Right? You can't even think different than what he suggests. Come on. And we're trying to take territory. We're trying to we're trying to do a little what's that, nefarious action. We're trying to do something that actually takes back some territory that the enemy has just been camping on and no one even knows his number. What number demon are you? I don't know. He's just so low on the totem pole of the demonic realm because I can't even put down an argument he suggests to me. So he says, God can't change. This is what he says. Now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. See, as long as you're right there, you're completely protected. You can risk the biscuit. Right? If I'm not there, I'm scared to death. Listen, we can be scared of money and act like we're not scared of money. We're scared of money when we can't give because crazy enough, giving is the activation of receiving, but we forgot that part. Right? He says, this is where we find his strength and comfort for he empowers us to seize. What's that? What's seizing? That sounds like seizing is a little more than just maybe a I'm getting it. I'm taking it. What has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. How many know that when I seize hope, nothing can stop me? Nothing can stop me. Because, because all the suggestions of the enemy are hopelessness. Well, what if God doesn't come through? Well, what if you're not healed? Well, what if your husband doesn't change? Well, what if your wife doesn't change? Well, what if that doesn't change? Well, what if you don't make enough money? Well, what if you can't pay your taxes? Well, what if you can't go over there? Well, what if you can't do that? Well, what if you can't? Well, that's just hopelessness. And he won't quit, man. He's like, just throwing it at you the whole time, isn't he? But see, when I refute it, say, you are my hope. I'm hiding myself in you. I'm using my mouth to create. Sometimes you got to create the avenue to remember the hope. Right? He says, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls. Here's the answer to your soul management right here. To God himself. If your soul is snugged up to God himself, What's happening? Have you ever felt really empowered by God? Anybody ever felt that? He wants you to live there 24-7, 365. Because he's unchanging. Who changed? Just a suggestion. 
How many know that it's usually just a suggestion? Like actual, hardly actual something hasn't actually happened, but a suggestion has happened. And we're like, aren't we? An unbreakable anchor. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat. How often is mercy, mercy renewed? Every morning. Get up in the morning and look for mercy. It's on the seat. Where you are seated. Just. It's right there. Have you, anybody ever wake up? Don't raise your hand. All mopey. Right there it is. This is the mercy you need right here today. It's not far away. James 1, 21, it says, don't, this is another part of our yoke of Jesus. Don't just listen to the word of truth. Have you heard any truth tonight? Have you heard anything you hadn't heard before tonight? Anybody? Then that's a new truth for you. Okay. That's a new truth for you. This is how it works. When you hear a truth you haven't heard before or one that you, how many have heard some that you've heard over and over and over and you're still not doing it? Right? That's not a new truth. That's old truth. Her dream was about both. When I realize what's, what I'm up against, this, this happens. I have to respond. I don't know if you understand this, but if you're not responding to Jesus, you're responding to the enemy. There's not anything in between. He said, listen, this is such a great word. For that is the essence of self-deception. Hearing the word, just, just let the word do it to you. Let it have a scalpel right now. When you hear what I'm saying tonight, when you hear what Cece said on Sunday, and you go out and you don't respond, you don't think about it, you don't do anything, you don't change your life, you don't change your decisions, you're self-deceived. Right? It says, so always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and you don't live out the message you hear, you become like a person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you let go and forget your divine origin. That's the beauty of the word. The word is supposed to begin to make you look more like Jesus to you. But see, when you don't do the word and you go look in the mirror and you know you didn't do it, what do you feel? Do you feel great or crummy? Why do you feel crummy? Because you know you didn't do it. So the word didn't change you. You just heard it and you rejected it and you became self-deceived. It says, but those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and they are then strengthened by it and they experience God's blessing in all they do. It's that simple. That is the way you elevate. Those four things were given to us by the Holy Spirit and I promise you Tonight, starting tonight, you're going to be tested on it. 
So if you don't elevate your thinking now, the things that come out of your mouth are going to show that you're still thinking bad. You're still thinking poor. You're still thinking yesterday's thoughts. And when God says he's pouring out his spirit, he's pouring out something right now for you to receive. And her dream is the response that we're looking for. We're saying those things, were they you? Were they you? Are you living in that old tent, that old identity? Are you trying to get something solved that you're not even living in anymore? Or have you just, in your mind, you just, it just skipped on by you? I really encourage you to hear and listen to that again. Listen to the word from Sunday. Listen to these things and begin to implement, the, implement these things in your life. Will you do it? Let's stand. Papa, we just release our hearts to you right now. We release his word over us right now. We receive it with joy and excitement. And we just, we put uh, our hope in you, which is this unshakable anchor. So, Papa, I just ask that you would expand these places of elevation, that there would be such a urgency in our heart that knows that you gave us this word in a prophetic way and that we cannot live without responding to it. So I bless our hearts to respond in the way that a son and daughter of the Most High would respond. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. 